Hi, Wine Delusters. In this episode, we're talking with winemakers. Welcome to the Wine Delust podcast. My name's Janine. In this season, I'm speaking to a dozen very impressive women that work in the wine and broader hospitality and tourism industry. Each episode will focus on one particular job and we'll learn what skills you need, the best parts of the work and the most challenging parts. So pour yourself a glass and let's get started. So when you think about jobs in the wine industry, being a winemaker is the first one that springs to mind. Traditionally, winemaking has been a very masculine career. It's still dominated by men, but as we'll hear in this episode, it is changing. I spoke to two fabulous winemakers for this episode, both with such different stories of how they came into the industry. My first chat is with Stephanie Helm. The Helm name in Canberra is iconic, with her father, Ken Helm, being one of the founding fathers of the region. She has stepped out from her dad's shadow with her very own vineyard and label, the Vintner's Daughter. Stephanie and Ken's wineries are located out at Murrumbateman in the Canberra Wine District, which is about 30 minutes west of the city. It's a great chat about how you can be born into a career, even though you take a little bit of a detour in the middle there. Please welcome Stephanie Helm. Welcome, Stephanie, to the Wine Delust podcast. Super excited to have you here today. Yeah, no, thank you. It's great, great to talk to you. <laughs> so, Stephanie, you um, are the winemaker at the Vinter's Daughter. You grew up in a winemaking family. Your dad's Ken Helm, who is one of the founding fathers of the Canberra Wine District. So I guess that's how you got into wine? Yeah, it's um, <laughs> definitely not something that appears in the sort of school career book you know I know when I was looking through I was like oh no one really picks picks winemaking to um, do as a career so it definitely seems to be something I think that people either come to it later in life or I guess they're lucky like me and you get born into the family so for me I was you know making wine I think when I made my first wine when I was nine which you know <laughs> it's a bit strange but um, you know you grow up on a dairy farm That's you learn fantastic. how to milk cows like it's um just how I grew up and I didn't really think anything of it I suppose until um yeah you start to get older and you start to look at careers and go oh this is actually quite unusual yeah and because you've got a brother did he did he make wine as well or was it he did yes um so I've got a brother and a sister we were all obviously involved in it because it was just a family business so we all have um, memories of you know helping out at vintage and picking grapes and helping out with the crushing process and putting on bird nets. My brother and I were a little bit more interested in it in terms of that we made wine but I know from my brother and sister who are a little bit older than me it was probably a lot more hard work for them because it was at the beginning of the winery when my parents were establishing which was you know some pretty tough times mm. with drought and such yeah. and so for them it probably um, yeah was a bit more of a chore whereas when I came along it was a bit more fun. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. <Yeah. laughs> and so now you've um, ended up having this career in it. So, so did you do any other training besides learning from your dad, or did like I know that you would have got lots of um, on the ground experience with the wine yeah. Wine. Look, it, it definitely wasn't that I I suppose went straight into it after school either. So 
as I grew up doing it and as I didn't really think it was that unusual. When I was in school, I, dad and mum were always very, and a lot of farming families are like this, are very, you know, encouraging about going off and doing something else. And, yeah. um, you know, I did that. So I went off and did arts law at ANU and um, wow. sort of, you know, went in a different direction and then went, oh, actually, this is what I actually love is, is winemaking. So went back and started a my third degree in wine science at Charles Sturt University. So it took me 10 years to finish that because it was at that stage then we'd bought this property, our own vineyard and winery. And so had that, had a family, but I got there. And so it's good having, I suppose, yeah, that traditional kind of methods and approach that I learned from dad, but then also the science and the kind of modern knowledge now that we have um, from my degree. So that's quite the juggle, isn't it? Mm. Like um, with the family and, and running your own business and the winemaking. Have you got any advice for people like on how to manage the juggle oh look I, yeah, I don't know I think everyone's still juggling aren't we yeah. it's um it's definitely tricky we're we're starting to get into a little bit more of a rhythm now I think and and it's easier obviously now that the kids are a little bit older I mean they're still young two and six but you know they can at least come and work with us in the vineyard yeah. and you know there's, there's ways that we can kind of involve them um without you know um, just one of us needing to do it because it's definitely a team here with Ben and I so often both of us are needed for a job so yeah, yeah. the kids just come along now. Oh that's good so they'll grow up like your family did. with. Yeah kids. that's it so it'll be interesting to see um, whether they find it as a passion because I think that's what it comes down to it's definitely an industry you don't do unless you're passionate about it so um, we'll just have to see. Yeah so what do you think is the best part about being a winemaker? I think it's, and I think this actually probably is an interesting question because it's different depending on the winery that you're in. So because we're a small winery and, you know, we're the owners, what I love about being a winemaker here is that I can do a little bit of everything. So I'm kind of a bit of a, you know, Jack um, or Jill Jill. of all all (laughs) trades. So, you know, I can be, although, you know, we sort of have kind of our boundaries into and our roles in terms of Ben's is the vineyard and mine's the winery, but it obviously, you know, overlaps. Yeah. We need four hands. And so, you know, I can be in the vineyard one day. I could be in the winery. I might be in the cellar door. We've also got a little bit of a farm going here now as well, which is actually incorporated into the vineyard too with our um, baby dog sheep so oh, yeah. um, that are grazing through the vineyard. So I love that kind of, kind of holistic view, I guess, of the winemaking process. It's not that I'm just involved in one little section. I mean the whole thing yeah and did you work as a winemaker at other wineries before I didn't no so I um had that I suppose fortunate experience in in dad's winery and obviously going around to different wineries and and events and and such with him and then it happened quite quickly purchasing this place so Ben and I purchased this in 2014 and this was an established winery vineyard so separate to my father's at Helm Wines Mm. um so this is the Vintner's Daughter Winery and previously it was called Yas Valley Lines and so when we came in Ben and I basically had a whole vineyard and winery to kind of get our hands dirty in and, and we kind of went from there. Did you change any of the grapes and things like that when you came? We've done a lot. The winery, we've done quite a lot to the winery here, which we're actually yeah. sitting in, which is nice. Yeah, yeah, the big barrel room and tanks and everything yeah, around that's us. It's so great. a lot of this um, we've brought in. So it was quite small. So we've sort of extended the sort of the winery footprint, I guess, and, and reused some of the other sheds, put in our refrigeration system and, mm-hmm. and some of the kind of more modern technology. And then in the vineyard, we've, we've got some really old vines. We've got vines that were planted in the 70s and, you know, that 
doesn't sound particularly old when you're talking oh. in South Australia, but in yes, this region, yeah, you know, right. a lot of the, the wineries were um, only established in the 70s. My, my parents was in 73. So it was kind of nice having those old vines to kind of rival dads um, when we got here. So this was just, you know, such a great opportunity for Ben and I to kind of do our own thing, step out of dad's shadow a little yeah. bit. And then we also have just planted our new vineyard, which will double production, and that's just up on the hill behind this winery. Wow. And what sort of grapes have you got Yeah, there? so yeah. Um, we've planted Sangiovese, um, oh. some Grenache, and some more Shiraz. So I'm hoping to make a GSM blend. We've got some Mataro in there as well. Um, and then a little bit more of our Pinot and Gewürztraminer and Riesling. So a little bit wow. more of everything. But, yeah, it's, it'll be nice to have a little bit more quantity of our wines because at the moment I'm, I'm really wanting to make more, particularly of the Gewürztraminer, which has been so popular. Mm. Yeah, because I um, came in March and, yeah, there's, there was quite a bit of stock that was down. So yeah. this is... Um, with all the challenges that the industry um, has had recently, so, you know, the fires in 2020, that was pretty devastating, um, losing the crop to smoke taint from those fires, which was something that we hadn't really considered before. And I don't think the industry had really ever thought about um, kind of an entire, almost like, well, state, basically, and states losing the wine crop because... Down the whole eastern side of Australia, pretty exactly. much. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, normally if we have an event that, you know, causes us to lose a crop, you know, there is that option then of sourcing grapes from another vineyard. But in this case, you know, it was just impossible. And it was particularly for a small winery, um, just, you know, costs were getting prohibitive. So that was really hard because, yeah, we would, we've never factored in just never having a crop that we really ended up dwindling um, our stocks and our yeah. wine. And so it was going to be my next question about the challenges. And so, like, being a farm, it's all the um, the weather and the climate yep. and everything is one of the massive challenges, isn't it? Yeah, and that was sort of, I suppose, back to your earlier question mm. about, you know, what I love about being the winemaker and that holistic view, but... Um, that's been really brought home to me even more in the last few years and going, yeah, I can't just be a winemaker sitting in the lab and, and just doing that. Like, yeah. you know, it has to be Ben and I planning, you know, the whole business and right from the start and going, okay, well, yeah, what happens if this wet weather continues? What's the effect on the grapes? You know, both in terms of disease, but then also in terms of winemaking, like we're noticing we're getting very different flavours because of the weather um, in the yeah. wine. So different levels of acids and, you know, the grapes are ripening um, differently as well so trying to kind of learn kind of on the job because you know this this weather is very un, uh, yeah unusual camera, yeah, yeah. Um, and so trying to to work it out and look it, it can be very stressful at times and very um, you know you can get quite down about it but it's also quite you know satisfying as well in a way like you know that constant learning process and the constant innovating kind of which I think is something that you get in a small winery as well just do with a, a little bit of an easier year every once in a while just to it's been, yes <laughs> that's I think it. the last it's, few years have been really yeah challenging. it's yeah. been very um I think the cumulative effects are starting to take their toll but it's definitely um it's definitely yeah something always to learn which is what I think probably coming back to your other question <laughs> that I love about winemaking yeah but also I was thinking like there's all the skills and training that you need to be a winemaker but you also need sort of a certain personality and this resilience and but also mm. So this um, desire to keep learning so that when there's, you're going through these hard times, you've got that innovation to keep thinking outside the box of finding solutions and getting sort of a, that satisfaction from that, which I think, you know, it's a personality trait that not everybody has perhaps. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. I think, yeah, the other thing I've learned is that you just can't stand still. Like you, you have to, you know, keep going, okay, 
you know, what are we going to do next? What's this kind of new wine or new variety? Um, you know, the weather's not going to allow us to make our normal style. So what styles, you know, yeah. could we experiment with and could be really exciting? And I think that sometimes I always find it a bit hard when people go, oh, well, it's a bad year. Like, it's a bad year for the... It's, it's never really a bad year. It's, it's a challenging year, yeah. you know, but there's always still that potential of making really good wines. And, you know, even in the smoke taint, I was really proud of myself. I took a gamble and, and um, made some wines during that year. So just from our white grapes, and it was only ended up being like 10% of our crop. So it kind of, you know, it's tiny. Still, yeah. But it was nice to have something in the bottle and just to show people. And I ended up getting 90 four points from James Halliday for that one. Wow, yeah. congratulations. That's so great. So it was kind of nice, I think, having that, you know, you know, going, okay, well, we can't make any wine because it's smoke-tainted. And, and, look, a lot of them were completely unusable. But I just sort of saw the opportunity in that these grapes weren't as badly affected and, and did that. And so... I think it is that constantly finding that kind of little bit of hope, I think, and, and taking sometimes a gamble, which doesn't always pay off. But it's definitely been the same with these wet years. I mean, it's it's also very easy to say, oh, well, it's, it's completely wet, we won't get a crop. But, you know, last year, Ben and I were able to make, you know, some fantastic wines. Well, not last year, 2022, yeah. um, last vintage. So hopefully we can do the same this year. It's just definitely more labour-intensive and more... Um, challenging with all the rain what does it how does it change the flavor a bit just based off last year particularly we noticed we we're getting a lot more um malic acid in the grapes so that kind of apple that Ooh. apple kind of acid which is actually really beautiful in riesling so yeah. i actually think the riesling's um were, they were really not lovely with that kind of nice sort of crunchy green apple character and so there was quite a lot of that in our reds though as well so that's going to be interesting to see how they're developing they're looking really nice but because that will um, they'll go through malolactic fermentation and that will change to a softer acid acid called lactic acid so be interesting to see the flavor profile of the reds having probably a little bit more lactic acid um, in the wines as well so yeah it's just something that we're sort of learning about we um, also made a rosé in the these wetter years Mm -hmm. so started making that in 2021 and that was a result of I was, um, you know, it was a, a little bit of a, a risk management sort of strategy. So I was a little bit concerned that we were going to um, completely lose the crop because um, of all the rain that was happening. So I'd been wanting to make a rosé for a while. So this kind of actually, yeah. again, kind of pushed me to, to finally do it, as I said, to not stand still. So made that and it became our most popular wine so rosé in summer is fantastic I know I was like why did I not do this before but it can be very easy sometimes to just be like oh well we make a Riesling and we continue on so you know when I keep trying to find the positives in these years and I'm like well at least these years have made me kind of yeah challenged me to do new things and to try styles instead of yeah just sort of continuing along with what I was doing before good on you that's fantastic I think um yeah that's really brave and a really fantastic mindset that you've got there too. Is there anything you wish you'd been told before you started on your winemaking career? Well that's a tricky one because I kind of feel like I kind of knew what I was getting into yeah. <laughs> um, growing up with it and I think um, you talk about that resilience and stuff and I wonder if sometimes that's learned a little bit like because I you know can kind of go well I remember when this happened to dad and mum you know I remember them being you know um, devastated when they'd be hit by frost you know and and it's really hard in, in the wine industry too because 
the grapes are always there. So, you know, if you get hit by frost, you're walking out each day and looking at a black vineyard. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, it was the same with the smoke taint. Like, we're looking out and looking at grapes that we couldn't use, you know, so it's kind of always yes. present. So I feel like some of that, I guess, I've learnt a little bit along the way. Um, and so I guess for anyone else starting out, it's like go and get kind of a little bit of the real story so that yeah. you don't completely come into it, I suppose, thinking yes. that it's very romantic. You know, and look, it is it is amazing, but you need to um, go into it with your eyes open because otherwise you'll get a shock when those years happen. Yeah. And in some ways, I feel like I've had to kind of boost my husband's spirits a little bit because he had, yeah, he didn't grow up in the industry. And so, you know, when these things have happened, he's taken it pretty hard as well. And then I'm like, oh, it's all right. Like, you know, we'll get through it. Um, And I think, yeah, I probably learned that, I suppose, just from parents as well. Oh, that's good. And you were mentioning to me earlier that you've got a school-based apprentice working with you now. So that's a really great way to, I guess, get your foot in the industry if you're a young person. Well, that's it. Look, it it was a little bit tricky to kind of organise that. took us a lot of phone calls and, and things. So... Um, it'd be great to see I think that become a bit more of a, a known thing I know it is in some of the other larger regions like there's um, South Australia, South Australia and stuff yeah there's a bit of culture and stuff so we had this local boy who was working with us just casually particularly during the COVID um, crisis when we had to do a lot more cleaning and mm. um, and such in the cellar door and um, then he started getting involved in vintage and helping, um, you know, pick grapes and harvest grapes and, and then involved in the processing side of things and then said to us, could I come and, you know, do this? And had a chat to his parents and they were really supportive and really excited about him doing that as well and then obviously went through all the process. And so, yeah, so he's now working with us and doing um, a little bit of everything. That's been really, really good and, and yeah, it's been an be interesting to see where he goes from here but as I said to him he's got a million things he can put on his resume now because it's definitely doing a little bit of everything. What qualification is he getting through his school-based apprentice? Is that like a yeah, cert so, one or two? So or? he's doing a cert two but he's doing in horticulture so my husband actually came into the wine industry mm. that way so he's a certified horticulturist so there's obviously a lot of horticulture in terms of the vineyards, so a bit of culture. Um, so he's he's doing a lot of that. You often think about those things for like landscaping and that, but not working in the vineyard. So that's that's a great um, to know. Yeah. That certain quals can lead to lots of different experiences, I guess. And lots 100%. Of different like it's essentially the same thing, um, more like specialising, I suppose. Like so you can obviously then go and do climbers in bit of culture. There's all sorts mm. of qualifications you can do after that. Yeah. And do you have any advice for other women that might want to be becoming a winemaker? Yeah, look, it's it's been interesting. I've been um, on a few panels lately talking about oh, that. Right. Um, it, it's it, again just to give the kind of it's not you know all rose coloured. Yes, um, no. It's definitely still a little bit challenging. I haven't found it so much because I work for myself, Self. and this particular region, Canberra region, has some amazing um, women involved in the wine industry and, and that's always been really, really helpful for me. But I think definitely in some of the larger sort of wineries and some of the older um, regions, I think there's still a little bit of work to do, particularly in terms of, you know, flexibility in terms of having a family and such as well. So again, you know, it's been nice for me. I've been able to have the kids with me. Yeah. It's obviously not that, you know, flexible in, um, you know, another winery and, and also during vintage, you know. So I was going to say, certain times of the year, it's really yeah. busy, isn't it? Yeah. So. yeah, I think it's definitely um, something that, you know, I guess it's less advice for people, but a little bit of a call out to the industry that we still need to actually work on that and make sure that it's a sort of female-friendly workplace. And I know I've got friends that have found that a little bit challenging just as they've started families. So, Which is kind of bad that it falls on the mum to be the... Like, I mean, we all love being the primary caregiver, yeah. I guess, but it is a 
shared responsibility out there. 100%, you know? yes. Very shared in, 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 um, in the winery here. And that's the thing, I think, it, it, there's still a little bit of that old school view yeah. of, you know, oh, well, when, when they have a, a baby, how are they going to come back? And I know that some winemakers have had to take demotions, you know, when they've come back to get flexible working hours or, you know, even just, um, yeah, just that, that they can mm. work over vintage and stuff. So I think that a little bit of work to do, but it's definitely changing. When I did my degree, I was one of five in the classroom of 50 so five women wow. in a classroom of 50 so it was a little bit of a shock when I kind of walked in there because doing arts law it had been yes. I think it'd been like 60 you know women um men so I walked in and went oh right okay and I think that's changing now but just something I think that the industry needs to keep being aware of and reflecting on and going okay like are we um making sure this is friendly because in some circles there's also still a little bit of a boys club that needs a little bit of a yeah. you know push to kind of realize that that's you know, old fashioned and not yeah. the way anymore and to make sure that yeah, women feel a bit more included in a lot of the kind of organisations and such as well. Mm. Oh, that's really interesting. Do you have anything else that you'd like to talk about oh. or add or anything? Look, I think um the only thing I'd probably like to add, I guess, is just a just a bit of a plug for the Canberra region. Yeah. Like, you know, one of your questions about, you know, have I worked in other wineries and stuff? And and I think I really did kind of get very lucky that I was born into this region because so supportive as I said the the other women and the other business owners in this region it's very collaborative if one of us doesn't have a part at vintage you know you send an email out and someone will be around be like hey I've got got that fitting for you yeah. and it's just been it's a lovely region to be a part of and um, we really do punch above our weight in terms of the quality of wine that we produce and I always find it interesting when people come and you know talk to us particularly from the industry we are so different to you know South Australia mm. or any of the you know Hunter Valley like we are we don't sort of, I guess, produce necessarily for the market so much as we produce, like, we're trying to, like, really excel, I think, you know. So it's interesting sometimes have considerations about, oh, well, this is, like, how you can make, like, the a bigger yield or do this. And we're sort of sitting there at these sort of seminars or and such and saying, oh, actually, in this region, we're about quality, you know. Yeah. So I think I've just been so, so lucky to be in the Canberra region. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you so much, Stephanie. It's been really lovely meeting you and yeah, chatting no today. No, thank, thank you so you. much. <laughs> Cheers. My next guest is Carla Rodiguero. Carla was a scientist and her world changed after experiencing a very memorable glass of wine. As a young mum, she set out to change her destiny, establishing a vineyard and a sapling yard label. She now has a cellar door in Bungendore, which is a quaint town about 30 minutes east of Canberra. This is a great story about learning to believe in yourself. Welcome, Carla. Welcome, Carla, to the Wine to Lust podcast. Thank you very much for joining me today. Great. Happy to be here. You're the founder of Sapling Yard Winery and the winemaker there. Can you tell us your journey into how you became a winemaker? Oh, okay. Well, it started way back in uh, university days. So I did a simple wine tasting course when I was at Sydney University. I was doing a Bachelor of Science at the time. And I just fell in love with the whole wine tasting and wines. I just found like it was like opening a door and finding a massive world behind it. Um, at that point, I was finishing my degree in biochemistry and microbiology, and I just didn't have the courage actually to go and do winemaking at that point. I felt like I was on my 
you know, on the road to becoming a scientist and working in medical, um, in, in, in laboratories, actually. So I completed my degree, got a job in Wollongong um, at a pathology lab. And then soon after, within 12 months, I went traveling. And while I was in London, um, I worked as a locum as a microbiologist, but I got a job as a, a hand in a wine bar on Carnaby Street. So that was fabulous. That's when I went, oh my God, what am I doing? I really need to get back in. I really need to do winemaking because when I was there, I came across a wine and it was the Mount Langy Giran Shiraz. And at that time, I think it was 1993. And I just thought it was the most exquisite thing. And I thought I'd love to make a wine like that one day. I wonder how they do it. And it was a cool climate Shiraz. The other thing was, like, I was exposed to wines like Malbec from Chile and all these other wines from all over the world. Something that we just didn't have yeah, here, I agree. right way back then. Yeah. So, yeah, so when I came back to Australia, I was in my late 20s. I enrolled in wine science at Charles Sturt Uni. And I only did it part-time because at that stage, I just, you know, affordability-wise, I couldn't just go and do winemaking full-time. So six years, um, basically part-time, um, I did get exemptions because I had a science degree. So during that time too, I worked, um, I worked in pharmaceutical clinical trials. So I would get contracts and finish a contract and then I'd go and do a vintage. So I spent three months in the Hunter, three months in Orange, and then three months in Oregon in the US yeah. over that time period to get my practical so I learned a lot doing that. And um, when I finished my degree, I actually, by that stage, I'd met a partner and I'd already, I just had a baby and it was my last subject. And I thought, well, I'm not delaying this any further. So I actually took my nine week old baby to rest school, my first baby, which was, you know, people thought I was absolutely nuts at the time, but it was fine. I'm a very relaxed mother. I got it done and then, you know, it's just been a slow journey from there. So I didn't actually join any company after that. Um, I'd already accumulated quite a bit of knowledge. So I ended up starting my own label. Um, take us two steps back too. I actually started a vineyard in Braidwood. I bought some land and planted a small vineyard, only one hectare. Uh, that was in 2008. What did you plant? I planted Riesling, at the time Sauvignon Blanc, because I was talked into Sauvignon Blanc, um, Pinot Noir, and a couple of rows of Tempranillo, and Gamay. So I didn't really know what would would work out there, because it's, it's, it's a site that doesn't really have any other vineyards around it. So during that time, I realised how difficult it was to, to... I was trying to get fruit to make my own wine, yeah. And, you know, I got hit with various things, you know, black frosts, um, lost crops. And so I thought, well, I'm never going to get this label started. So I ended up starting to buy fruit in the Canberra region. And I only made like a ton maybe of Shiraz, ton of Riesling for the first few years. And then, you know, I got the swing of it just in my back shed at the time. And I started the label. And then I started growing really slowly and I realised um, way back in 2018 that I had to either 
move and get bigger or there was no point continuing because it just wasn't financially, it wasn't commercially viable. So then I'd already befriended Malcolm Burdett, uh, who was at the time working at Lerida. And with the new ownership, he actually ended up leaving Lerida. And I said, hey, come and join me at Sapling Yard. And so um, we also moved into Lake George Winery back then, end of 2018-19. And we did our first vintage together in 2019. And then you know, I think we did maybe 20 tonnes back then. Yeah, so that was a big increase. And then, of course, in 20, we didn't make anything. 21, I think we did 40 tonnes. This year, we did just over 50. So here we are. So, yes, I started the brand and Malcolm joined. And, yeah, I'm I'm getting – it's been 10 years, the label, and um, it's definitely um, – it takes time to establish yeah. a brand. There's no overnight success. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, because you yeah. need to plant it, like you were saying, and that's in itself yeah. a process or, or yeah. get the fruit. But yeah. yeah, so currently now we, we actually buy fruit from a number of growers, both in Canberra, in Burrawa, Hilltops, Hilltops region, Tumbarumba, obviously Lake George as well, and my own little vineyard. So some of the fruit from my own little vineyard goes into the wines. And only on Friday, we actually, um, we won a very big accolade. I don't know if you've heard. No, tell us. I'm very happy to say that we won the best Chardonnay, top gold. Congratulations. And also best white wine of show. So two trophies um, at the Highland Wine Show. So that's the cool climate. So that was for our Tumbarumba 21 Chardonnay. So very happy about that. Because I love your four Pinots, which comes from four different plots that you were just talking about, how you get the fruit from different regions. Yes, yes, absolutely. So that's kind of the creative side. So interestingly enough, my business partner, Malcolm, and I, we work really well together because... I've got the ideas and the creativity, so and Malcolm really is more the methodical and the implementer. So we work really well together, and, and that's a, a perfect example because the four Pinots came about because we made a Pinot Gris, and I thought it was ultimately quite boring. And Malcolm said, well, well we both thought, well, what can we do to make this a more interesting wine? And we had sparkling wine in, in tank. So we used that Pinot Noir and Pinot Mounier, added it to the the Gris that had been both half barrel fermented, half stainless steel ferment. And then um, we added the Pinot Blanc. Sorry, I forgot to mention I do have Pinot Blanc now in my vineyard because I actually planted some of that a bit later. So we came up with that, the four Pinots. And it's yeah. like to get on skins because it's got a beautiful Yes, it color. does. And I think that's... That's probably more to do with the barrel ah, ferment. Right. So that's Pinot Green barrel that gives you that oh, textural lovely. component. What I love about that wine is it's really versatile. It's a great food wine. Yep. It's the go-to after work, but it's very enjoyable with a, a really classic dish like perhaps a, a gnocchi or something with a cream-based sauce because mm. there's quite a lot of acidity in the wine. So it's fresh, but it's got texture, depth, and um, length yeah. to it as well. And you're right, like that lovely copper colour. No, it's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. It's one of my favourites. And yeah. also your Shiraz Viognier, which is a typical yeah. Canberra blend. Yeah, that's right. Some. That's right. All Canberra fruit in that one. Yeah. So you're saying how um, winemaking really brings out, you have to be creative to, you know, with all these blends and things. What other attributes do you think you need for being a winemaker? Uh, tenacity, perseverance. <laughs> yes. 
you need to be able to roll with the punches. It's it's not easy. Um, you get knocked back all the time in regards to trying to get your wine into restaurants and you know other venues. It's, it's extremely comp- competitive. So you've got to be really tenacious if that's what you want to do in terms of your own label. I guess in terms of winemaking too, be prepared to get physical because it's a lot of physical work. And I've found, you know, um, I've got to think about when you're getting older too and not hurting yourself Mm. and um, moving barrels around and it's quite heavy work. Yeah, and harvest is a yeah. good job, isn't yeah, it? Then yeah, it picking's off. not easy and often you have to get in there and help, assist with the picking. Well, that's what I do anyway. You have to keep your fitness up for sure because it's long hours over vintage. Um, yeah, and it's, it's, it is. It's hard work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before you started your career, what mm-hmm. do you wish somebody had told you about being a winemaker? Um, well, I wish someone had told me that, you know, there's no stopping me. I could do it then, like earlier. Mm. I would have been a winemaker much earlier, only I just didn't have the courage. So, And I don't have any family, so I don't have family in wine. I didn't have any connections. Mm. So my advice would be if you do think, if you have a passion for wine, just go for it. Like don't, you know, don't let people tell you that you can't or it's too hard or whatever. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would recommend doing Wesset, Double yeah. Wine and Spirit Education Trust, as a beginner. I think they're really good, level yes. one, level two, and, and see how you go with that. Yeah, because that really shows mm. you that whole breadth of um, different countries and what they make. Yeah, that's right. And, so you can yeah. taste, and what, what sort of different tastes they're associated with different grapes and things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you really need to get your head around all of the varieties and, you know, a bit of the historical aspect Little, little bits about vineyards as well. Um, knowledge about growing grapes, I think, is really important to be a good winemaker as well. And I've developed that through my own little vineyards. Yeah. It's, it was a very long, you know, it's been a long learning curve, like learning, especially with a tricky climate like that. Yeah, so yeah. Um, why did you choose the vineyard out there when there's no other vineyards around? Like, Obviously yeah. the land was available and maybe at the right price perhaps. Or, yeah, correct. Yeah. And I was absolutely bonkers, to be honest. <laughs> but obviously you could, yeah. was it something like the weather, like it got lots of sun or? Well, I did a climate report. I did a, an investigation mm. into when, you know, the temperature summation, like um, the warmest month, mean January temperature, all of the things you learn at uni mm. to establish, well, yes, I could grow grapes there. What I didn't see coming was the higher disease risk than I anticipated and the higher frost risk. So those two things have made it uh, a little bit tricky. So it is a low, bigger vineyard um, and it's taken a long time to get to where I am now. And also the remoteness. I didn't Mm -hmm. think about that either. It's really hard to get help. Studying and understanding viticulture and learning by your mistakes, yes. like you know, forgetting to put a copper spray on, or not being able to do it at a very critical time, you end up with downy mildew. Yeah, right. So, which has happened to me a number of times, and powdery as well, and and that's you know, then you're you're kind of gone. So, how often do you mm. have to go out there to check on the? the um, at the moment, I have to go every week, so I'm trying to put a. We use quite benign sprays, I might add, just copper and sulphur at the moment. But yeah, given with all of this wet weather, I can't get my tractor in, so um, 
I've got a lovely friend who's a really good viticulturalist and he's helping me. He's set up a spray rig on the back of a quad bike so I can at least wow. spray while the um, the actual we don't have a lot of foliage at the moment. Once it gets canopy gets big, obviously then you can't the sprays won't um, won't get into where they need to go. But at the mo- moment, I'm getting by with that. So hopefully we'll get that drier. Hopefully, you know, in a few weeks, I'm hoping, and then you know I can get the tractor in, and then all will be good. That's yeah. what I'm hoping. Because you have to be very innovative, then, isn't it? Like a quad bike. Yeah, look, I, I think. Never thought of that. Yeah, look, you have to be agile and and willing to go. Okay, well, how can I fix this? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, what is the best part of being a winemaker? I just think being able to produce something like you're making it and and seeing it at the end, like seeing that Chardonnay come out the way it did, like looking at it and and you know seeing it develop like in barrel and knowing that it's going to be a really good wine and then it turns out to be a wonderful wine so yeah that's the fun part yeah yeah especially when other people appreciate it too yeah Yeah. that's right it really gives you yeah that that feeling of wow I've made something really beautiful Yeah. yeah and do you have any advice for other women wanting to be a winemaker you know, support other fellow wine women in wine. I think that's really important. Do you find I, it's still a masculine profession? Uh, or is it, is it it's changing. Like... It's definitely changing. But, yeah, it's still, you know, the weight is still on the male, especially in the winemaking. But that doesn't mean to say there's lots of females out there that are really, you know, really um, doing amazing things. There's quite a few, actually. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So I'd say my advice is, you know, Get your hands dirty. Go out and do a vintage first yes. and foremost. See if you like See it. See if you like it because that will tell you. I mean, if you you do it and you find that it's just, you know, not for you, um, it could be just the fact that it's when you start doing a vintage, it's often in a bigger winery. So you might feel like the big machinery and the big production isn't for you, but there are smaller, but you're... you're yeah. Your ability to get those roles means you have to be very experienced. So you kind of have to do a lot of, I'd say, you know, cellar work before you'd be a, a winemaker. Is there anything else that you would like to add? Uh, no, I don't think so. I just, I'm just grateful for you <laughs> chatting to me today. It's great to talk about uh, you share a passion for wine as well. Yeah, so, I'm on yeah. the drinking end. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, oh, but, but we need people like you, <laughs> of course. Otherwise, you know, where would we be? Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. Thank you so much, Carla, for your time. I appreciate that's it. That's okay. For everything discussed today, please check the show notes or head over to windelust.com.au. And also a big thank you to the ACT Government Office for Women for supporting this series. Thank you so much for listening. You can subscribe now to get each episode as they drop. You can also check out this podcast on YouTube and see pictures of the region and the people I've spoken to. Go to windelust.com.au. That's W-I-N-E-D-E-R-L-U-S-T dot com.au for everything discussed today. You can also subscribe to my newsletter to hear all about my upcoming events and other news. Till next time, happy wine travels.